You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Got a great uh, guest host with me today. His name is Carmi Levy out of Toronto. Thanks for joining me, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks. Our show is all about the world of apps and mobile technology, and we've got a great program for you today. We'll be chatting about the federal privacy watchdog. He's uh, probing OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, after some complaints about the popular language model bot. We'll also be talking about a scary new kind of, I don't even know how to call it, some sort of kind of kidnapping type scheme uh, where callers uh, uh, spoofing one of your loved ones uh, try to extort money out of you. And uh, we'll uh, get an update on some of the latest car news. Looks like GM wants to cut off access to things like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto for its future electronic vehicles. And we'll touch a bit on in-car subscriptions as well, because that's what we need, another subscription. But let's get to some of the uh, the news. And this was kind of interesting, uh, Carmi. TikTok, uh, under fire, as always. Uh, looks like they've been fined in the UK to, uh, I think, about uh, equivalent of $20 million for uh, misusing children's data. And I think this is a common issue with a lot of the social platforms. They're not really age-verifying kids properly because kids are smart they can lie about their age exactly and 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 you know disclosure my kids were under 13 when we first allowed them access to certain social media platforms because all their friends were on it and so we put them on it knowing full well that we were erroneously and and you know somewhat maliciously putting the wrong birth date on and so i think what you know what's happening here and it's the fine is 12.7 million pounds um so it's a drop in the bucket for a company like tiktok it's not billions it's just it's a slap on the wrist to send a message you've got to do better um and essentially they're saying is they didn't do enough to prevent kids under 13 from accessing their platform that it was ridiculously easy for them or their parents or caregivers to enter the wrong date and they didn't force them to provide proof that they are in fact the age that they say they are. So uh, I think it, it 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 sets an interesting precedent globally that uh, social media companies can't just, you know, do the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, look the other way. Uh, if people are going to lie about their age when they sign up for the service, if they have to do more proactively, have better technology, better processes in place to prevent this kind of abuse. And, you know, obviously my kids are a little bit older now. They Thankfully, they grew up okay, despite my worst efforts. But, um, you know, that, you know, going forward, the industry needs to take a proactive role um, in protecting kids that are under 13. And we've sort of established 13 is that line, that age uh, under which kids should not be on social media. Whether that is valid or not, again, that's up for scientists to decide. But um, you know, the UK government is essentially saying you got to do a better job uh, and, and simply saying that you're not responsible for what people put uh, when they first register for the site. Uh, that's not enough protection. But kids, they will always find a way around this. Like, how do they really tighten those age verification rules. Do you know what I mean? Like that's. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's almost like when kids got fake IDs way back in the day and, you know, how do you prevent that? How do you create uh, systems and processes? And in this case, technologies that uh, make it hard for people to, uh, to, to game the system. But, you know, you and I have been there and certainly I've witnessed it enough in my both life as a parent, as well as career and technology is that if, if you put a lock in place, someone very soon likely will figure out a way around it. And it's a never ending game of cops and robbers. Um, and so TikTok can maybe put in some safeguards on the system that it uses to register to make age verification a tighter, uh, more regimented process uh, that's harder to, to violate. 
Uh, but then kids will figure out a way around it because I remember my kids, they were pretty smart um, and they always knew. So, uh, you know, and I think that's why the size of the fine here, you know, under 13 million pounds is really nothing. So I kind of look at it and I think, well, for TikTok to even develop the technology or for other social media companies to develop better technology, um, it would cost a lot more than that. And so I think some companies may very rather cynically look at this and go, well, if I'm only going to get a small fine, why would I even bother having my engineers work on this? It's just not worth it to me. I'll pay the fine and move on. Uh, and I think the industry, and I think that's part of what the UK government is saying is, we care enough to find you. We don't care enough about the problem to really find you and send a message. So I'm guessing we're going to see more fines like this. And I'm guessing we're going to see big techs just shrug their shoulders and say, we'll, t we'll take the fine. Uh, and we're not actually going to change the way we do business, which to me is a lost opportunity. This next news story is really uh, disturbing, but I, I wanted to talk about it. Uh, it involves a, a Belgian man who ended his life after an AI chatbot encouraged him to sacrifice himself to stop climate change. And I don't even know what to, to, to make of this. Uh, it was an AI chatbot um, on an app called uh, Chai. And I guess he'd been talking with this chatbot for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we, we've seen a number of examples where these chatbots would go rogue and, and the potential for them to go rogue and sort of the, the, the degree of rogueness, uh, so to speak, uh, becomes worse the longer you speak with them. And so when Microsoft introduced uh, its chatbot on its Bing search engine a few weeks ago, um, they found that it, it very quickly went rogue. And so one of the updates that they introduced to stop that from happening was to limit the length of any conversation that any one person could have with it. In other words, ask a few questions, get a few answers, and then cut it off. Because if you kept doing it, in this case, he was he was going back and forth with the bot for six weeks. That's long enough for it to really reflect the world around it and to really go over some very serious ethical uh, and legal lines. And that's exactly what happened here. He was concerned about climate change. He was expressing his concerns about climate change to the bot. The bot was answering him. Um, and then uh, finally, the bot started, you know, he, he at one point he asked him, he asked the bot, um, if I ended my life, would that help? climate change? Would that reverse uh, the trajectory that we're on? Um, and that seems to have kind of flipped a, another trigger in the bot, and it started suggesting ways for him to end his life, and ultimately he took that advice. And so I think the this, this frankly, is one of the saddest stories I've ever, I've ever had, to, had to cover, and I, I would say this puts the entire industry on notice. Um, this should be the case that we hold up and go, we've got to do something, because if this continues to happen, one was too much, if this continues to happen, um, then you know we have no ethical reason to proceed with deploying this technology, and we need to do everything we can to stop this from happening again. I say this as you know, I I I lost my brother to suicide, so I see a story like this, and it just it it kills me. Um, and as a technologist, um, this needs to be getting a lot more headlines than it already is. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I'm I'm sure this this poor guy had other issues going mm -hmm. on and it's unfortunate because you, you hear a lot about these chatbots and they go off the rails really easily right now because they're just i mean we're humans right we're the ones that are kind of setting up the framework for these ai language models and, and chatbots and i don't even think we have a full handle on how to make sure that they're i'm going to say safe 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what troubles me about this is that we don't really understand the inner machinations. I remember when um, a, a journalist had a test of a, of a chatbot recently, and at one point it tried to break up the journalist's marriage. Um, and so they were asking, the journalist then went and asked the engineers, why does it do that? Why does it go rogue? And they said they couldn't explain the, the internal mechanics um, that cause it to do that, and they're, they're still researching it, which kind of frightens me. It's like saying you built an airplane, but you don't understand how it flies. Um, you don't understand the basic physics, or in this case, the basic engineering. So, but, but that's um, a good—that's a good point, right there, Carmi. You said yeah. you can't just build an airplane <laughs> and not have it, you know, adhere to regulation. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I have a friend who's building uh, a hobby plane, um, mm -hmm. and he has to adhere to certain regulations and have it uh, scoped out and tested. Do you know what I mean? And here, yeah. we are unleashing the most powerful technology ever developed, and there's just no. There's no framework or, or laws or, or regulations around them. Yeah, there are uh, there are standards and rules that the government will happily impose that dictate where I can fish and what kind of fish I can catch and how many. Um, but if I want to unleash, you know, the the uh, technological equivalent of a dystopian future, uh, <laughs> you know, that makes Terminator look like a joke, um, uh, have at it. There's 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 no limitation. There are no rules, regulations, frameworks in place or laws, and so. I think we really do have to, you know, there was a there was that group of 1100 industry leaders who uh, issued a, an open letter calling for uh, a, a six month pause in training these systems while we figure out what to do next. Um, and I think we really should be redirecting some of our research uh, efforts in towards towards understanding what is happening beneath the surface. Why do they go rogue? Um, what are the factors that are driving this kind of behavior? Um, and and what does that tell us about how we need to update them, about how we need to modify the technology to minimize the risk to us? Because, yes, it's you know you, you can't hold an AI chatbot responsible for one human's suicide. He clear, clearly would have had uh, additional issues that he was dealing with. But uh, the fact that there's even a correlation between them, I think, should be should set off alarm bells. Uh, maybe we should be pumping the brakes at least a little bit and having the conversations that we probably should have had long before we, we released all this stuff to the public. I want to cover one uh, story here quickly as well. Uh, Levi's is getting a little bit of pushback for using AI models to add diversity. Some people are saying it's a digital blackface. What's going on here? Yeah, they're you know there's a, they're working with a group with a, with a company uh, called uh, with a, with a company that basically what they do is they create digital models of a diverse range of models, so different skin tones, uh, you know, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, nationalities. Uh, it's called LaLaLand.ai. They're based in the Netherlands. It's a fashion studio, digital fashion studio, and they're hyper realistic. They look incredibly real. And they're incorporating them. Levi's has decided they're going to use these assets uh, in their marketing campaigns to complement the the real models that they already use. But you know, they're they are they're, they are being accused of digital blackface. They're calling it artificial diversity. Um, you know, and and you know, limiting opportunities for real life models, and you know, essentially blurring the line between what is real and what is not. Um, and yes, they're getting headlines for this, which a lot of companies tend to do when a new technology comes along. They'll just throw it into their marketing mix and hope that they get some attention from it. But this isn't the kind of attention that you want. It's technology for technology's sake. Uh, and quite frankly, it does nothing for the Levi's brand, which has always been about authenticity. This is, this is the company that, you know, it, you know, put jeans on miners, you know, out in the Wild West. 
um, you know, and, you know, created a brand around that. So to use uh, artificial intelligence created uh, imagery uh, as the core of the brand in this new age, to me, it really violates the brand. And I think companies that are considering using AI in, in their marketing roadmap really should be thinking about that because the backlash, as we're seeing here, very swift and very significant, and it goes against everything the company stands for. Yeah, I th I th this could be really polarizing, but this technology, I mean, it it can generate every eth ethnic background, can't it? Yeah, it yeah. can. And, you know, Levi's argument is that, you know, we might not be able to find uh, a human, uh, you know, model uh, you know, of that ethnicity. So if we really want to have true diversity, <laughs> really, artificial, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, it's like, please, come on. Like, are you telling me that you can't find someone? Yeah, like, there's know, a there's a few billion of us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it, it just doesn't wash. Uh, and, and, and I think I think cases like this are good to spark the, the, these conversations. But at the same time, if Levi's really thinks that this is going to be a thing going forward, um, I, I think they really should rethink their position. I think all of us should rethink our position. AI is not something to be used lightly. Uh, it has to be leveraged uh, in business and elsewhere in a very deliberate, deliberate manner. And if it isn't, uh, the kind of controversy that you're seeing ensue now uh, is going to happen again and again and again. We're going to have to take a break, but we're going to cover coming up next a really frightening story out of Pittsburgh. And this was uh, covered in the Huffington, Huffington uh, Post. And uh, let me just go through this scenario with you. A few weeks ago uh, in Pittsburgh, Beth Royce said she woke up to an early morning call. Her phone lit up with her younger sister's contact info and photo. So, of course, she answers it because it's her sister. But it wasn't her sister's voice on the other end of the line. Instead, she heard an unfamiliar male voice saying, I've got this girl and I'm going to kill her if you don't send me money. The man cautioned her not to contact the police or he would shoot the sister in the head. So frightening. We're going to tell you what happened next. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Egerbo here with Carmi Levy. Going to talk about a story out of Pittsburgh where a woman was uh, called early in the morning on her phone. Uh, her sister's contact and phone photo came up, so she answered it. But basically, there was a man on the other line basically telling her, uh, I want $1,000 or I'm going to kill your sister. So this is a, a nightmare scenario, Carmi, because it looks like it's actually coming from her sister's phone because her contact mm -hmm. info is coming up. But you and I both know it's very easy to spoof that. Sure it is. I mean, you know, like to, to spoof call display or caller ID, um, it's a simple app that anyone can get for free online and make it look like the phone is the phone call is coming from, from your, your loved one. Um, the photo, easy to grab from social media, uh, easy to grab from your profile. There are photos of all of us out there. Um, and in fact, we are leaving trails, breadcrumbs of our activities that allow the attacker to customize it. They know where they live, they know what their interests are, so they can tailor the conversation so it seems terrifyingly like, oh yeah, that is my sister, oh my God, I better send the money. Um, and so, you know, the, the one thing that we all need to remember with all of this is, is that you, you can literally stop these kinds of attacks. And there are variations of this that target senior citizens, they call it the grandparent scam. Um, in the same way, you know, your grandchild's been arrested, been in an accident, whatever it is, send money for, for, for medical care, send money for bail. They're all variations on the same theme. But the way you stop them all dead in their tracks is by getting off the call, if you can, and, and calling the individual directly. Um, and sort of recognizing that this kind of approach is a scam call, that it very rarely happens in real life. 
uh, and that that you know all you need to do is verify that yeah your sister is in fact sitting at home uh, sipping a mug of tea uh, and all you need to do is call her what i do is i advise people like if you're home always keep like uh, be able to text separately so from another phone like i use i use my iMessage on on apple so i've always got that up on my screen and up on my ipad so that i can always pick up another device and i can very quickly text someone and say hey is everything all right yep oh okay all right and then now you know you're being scammed um, but we have to pull ourselves out of that emotional response, recognize that, you know, what the signs are, what the signature of this kind of attack, which is becoming so common that it should be obvious to all of us. But, and, and, and the moment that that becomes apparent, bail out. It, it, but it's, it's so real, Carmi. Like I, I could see mm -hmm. people really falling for this. It is. And in fact, it's getting more real. In fact, a lot of these attackers now are using uh, what's called voice cloning technology uh, to actually use the loved one's voice so they can they can scan online. They can record or take a, even a three second sample of an individual's voice. And from that, using artificial intelligence tools, they can actually have them create whatever they can just they, they can have them say whatever they want. I'm in jail. Please bail me out. And it sounds like it's coming exactly from your loved one. And you can't tell the difference. Um, th these tech, these tools are getting better and better. Um, but the thing is, th you know, we know that now. In other words, if I get a call and it sounds like some emergency has, has happened, I should have had that conversation within my family enough to the point that people go, oh, yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. That sounds a little bit odd. I really should look into it and then I'll get back to you. So we sort of need to slow things down, skip a beat, do our own due diligence to verify the legitimacy of the individual. If someone calls me and says, you know, I'm a cop and your kid, you know, has just been in an accident and is unconscious and, you know, you need to send this kind of money for his medical care. Well, I'm going to say, okay, what is your name? What station are you based out of? What's your badge number? You know, I'm going to be looking for them on LinkedIn, creeping them online, Googling them to see, does this person really exist? Uh, you know, and, and or, or am, I, am I being played with? Um, so I'm gonna have to cut. I'm gonna have to cut you off there, Carmi. We're gonna have Sorry. to take a break here. Um, but when we come back, we will be chatting about some more tech stories, including car subscriptions. You want to pay more? <laughs> to subscribe to something in your car. We'll cover all of that back after this. You are back with the program. I'm Mike Agarbo here with Carmi Levy today. Of course, what's a week without talking about chat GPT and uh, another development here in Canada. It looks like the federal privacy commissioner is launching an investigation into the company behind chat GPT. They're called OpenAI, and they are initiating this investigation because they've received a complaint alleging the collection, use, and disclosure of personal information without consent. Carmi, what does this mean in simple terms? Uh, it means that, like, anytime the Office of the Privacy Commissioner receives a complaint, it is mandated to investigate. It must. Um, and so someone lodged one basically saying that it collects, uses, and discloses personal information without consent, which basically means we need to understand how ChatGPT works. And, and the way all of these chatbots work is they're literally turned loose on the internet and they, they, they suck up, they hoover up huge amounts of information that they find from publicly available places. So if it's on a website, if it's on a social media feed, if it's in a database, doesn't really matter where. If it's publicly accessible, it's fair game to these bots. That's how they train themselves. That's how they, they sort of gain access to all the data, which they then analyze and create linkages within to make it seem like they're intelligent. They're not, uh, but it seems like they are. And it's all based on how much information gets fed in the front end. 
the problem here is is that that information could be your blog it could be the stuff that you've shared on facebook it could be uh, anything that you shared online and then it just suddenly gets included in this which means that chat gpt knows a lot more about us than we thought uh, and we never actively consented to it we never said chat gpt go for it and you can have whatever you want and so this complaint really i think reinforces shines a light on um, just how ai bots work and how much we as consumers need to open our eyes and understand that all that stuff that we've been putting out there in recent years is now open and available to these new generations of tools and we may not like the results we not, may not like what we see on the other end and I think we're going to have to give ourselves a bit of a head shake, a rethink about what we share, under what circumstances, where we share it. Uh, maybe we should be dialing back the whole sharing thing altogether. It looks like governments are trying to catch up <laughs> to, the, to the, this to this bullet train of technology right right now. You know, even over in the European Union, they're negotiating a law that would classify AI programs and tools based on their perceived level of risk. Is that, mm -hmm. is that too little too late or is that an encouraging sign in your eyes? It is encouraging. It is encouraging. And of course, the European Union always seems to lead the world when it comes to introducing progressive legislation that deals with technology. For example, a few years ago, they released something called the, the GDPR, which, which is essentially a framework that dictates how companies are supposed to be treating your and my data to maintain our privacy. Um, and so, you know, that has become in the ensuing years, a template for how other countries handle uh, data privacy and data stewardship. Um, and so that the EU is doing the same thing when it comes to artificial intelligence, absolutely no surprise. We're always gonna be behind. I think that's just the way technology works. Tech moves really quickly and then the rest of us try to catch up, including governments who then craft legislation to try to sort of stay in the same ballpark. I think the question is how big of a gap are we willing to have um, and is this a different revolution than past technology revolutions? Uh, I would say it is because AI moves a lot faster than the internet did when it was first a thing. It moves a lot faster than search engines did when they were first a thing. Uh, that curve, that, that steepness of the curve is much more significant now than it's ever been before. So we can't afford to wait for years to come up with better rules about uh, proper ethics and legalities around AI use. Uh, we got to come up with them now and our governments have to get a clue Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves with these technologies light years ahead of us, and we'll literally be open to whatever abuses big tech wants to visit upon us. They want to use our data to build a huge multi-billion dollar business and cross all sorts of ethical ethical lines. Totally up to them because there won't be any law that reins them in. And that's a terrifying place to be. Okay, so we've got the Federal Privacy Commissioner launching an investigation. Does that have any teeth whatsoever? No, not really, because the Privacy Commissioner's office doesn't have any enforcement uh, teeth, right? Doesn't have any ability to, 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 you know, so they'll, they can, they can rule, okay, yeah, ChatGPT did cross some lines, but there really isn't anything they can do. They can't find them. Uh, they can't uh, stop them from behaving in a certain way, can't impose limits on them. In order to do that, you need a legal framework. What this can do, though, is it can set the stage for uh, Parliament to introduce new legislation that addresses some of the gaps that would have been uncovered in this investigation. So it starts the process and it moves it in the right direction, but let's not kid ourselves. The outcome of this investigation isn't going to magically protect ourselves. Uh, it'll point us in the right direction, but it's going to be years before we even see any 
actual result of this, a law that protects us. Uh, and to me, that's far too long. We've got to figure out a better way. Talking all about uh, some privacy concerns now. The federal privacy uh, commissioner is uh, looking into some complaints about chat GPT. I'm sure there will be more of these investigations uh, as the weeks, months go on here. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the latest in car apps and subscriptions. It looks like GM is going to have their own interface for their new electric vehicles, uh, potentially doing away with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto that most other vehicles have in their infotainment systems right now. And we'll also be talking about subscriptions. The car industry would love to have you on monthly subscriptions for all kinds of uh, different features in their vehicles, trying to squeeze uh, every last penny uh, out of you. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with Carmi Levy. Going to talk a little car tech and uh, cars. They are mobile, so it kind of fits into our mandate of The App Show. And they do have apps, uh, whether that's uh, Apple CarPlay, if you have an iPhone, or uh, Android Auto, if you're on the uh, Android phone side. Most new vehicles have, uh, well, most all of them have the infotainment screens on there. And once you plug your phone into them, whether that's through a cable or wirelessly, depending on your vehicle, you have that uh, beautiful uh, interface with GPS and everything that your smartphone can do projected onto that screen. Uh, Carmi, it's interesting. I just think back to the the, the 80s and 90s. Uh, I mean, car stereo business was huge back then, right? Because you got to you got a crappy car stereo typically when you purchased your car. And then I remember just spending hundreds of dollars to get a cooler car stereo. You know, maybe, oh, uh, a CD player, one that, you know, could light up or had a detachable faceplate. I remember even yeah. one that I pulled out was like a luggable so that it didn't get stolen. Do you, do you know what I mean? But I mean, oh, I think I think I still have that one in my cupboard uh, from my old car. I mean, that was a thing. I remember buying the car deliberately without a stereo in it. And then I brought it to an aftermarket dealer and I had it installed. And that was that was just the thing that people did back then. Whereas today, all of, you know, your, your car comes from the factory with it built in because there's that screen and all of the services, including entertainment, what they call infotainment, revolves around that screen. So, I mean, in one lifetime, we've, we've come full circle. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't miss lugging around my car stereo whenever I leave, you leave it parked somewhere. I'm perfectly happy to leave that era behind. It's just funny how technology has wiped out so many different uh, gadgets and, and things. Um, and of course, I think car stereo was uh, one of them. So the two main players right now, I mean, there's only two main players. It's, it's Apple with CarPlay and um, Google with Android Auto. Uh, there are some outliers. Tesla, uh, I have one. They have got their own interface on there for better for worse it's pretty good uh it it does some pretty amazing things uh i can watch netflix and i got a web browser on the car of course when i'm not uh, driving it's got karaoke as well so i can sing my favorite uh abba tunes which is super important as you know carmy um but it, it looks like gm is going to be developing their own interface for their upcoming electric vehicles because up and up until this point they they've been using you know carplay and android auto yeah, that's been the industry standard. Like, you basically buy a car today, it's table stakes. It'll have support for both of these systems. And, you know, you buy the car, you plug in your phone or put it on the uh, on the wireless charging pad, sync it up to the, the, the car, and off you go. 
Um, but it's interesting that the, the problem with that, I mean, obviously for consumers, it's a phenomenal system because everything on your phone is now available in your car. And if you are the kind of person who uses car sharing services, or if you rent a vehicle, it's amazing. You just plug it in and off you go all your, all your contacts, all your navigation data, all of your services, all of your playlists are all right there and all available. And, you know, every time I travel, I marvel at how easy it is to just seamlessly bring all my stuff into the vehicle. Um, the problem for auto manufacturers is that it really limits how much money they can make off of us. They don't like CarPlay and Android Auto. They include it grudgingly, but it means that they can't sell us additional services. It means that uh, they no longer control the experience in on the dashboard. Apple and Google do, and Apple and Google are the ones making the money off of it, not them. So. That's one of the reasons why Tesla doesn't support it. It's one of the reasons why Volvo uh, and its subsidiary Polestar have moved to uh, Google, like what we call native Google systems, which actually have the apps built right in to the front end. Um, and uh, that's largely why General Motors has announced that as it starts to develop electric vehicles over the next few years, its EV line will not support uh, Apple CarPlay or Google Android Auto. Instead, um, it will use, it will incorporate Google's technology right into the dashboard. It'll have Google apps on the car, preloaded in the car, so you won't have to plug in your phone if you don't want to. It's it's kind of interesting because uh, we live in a weird world right now. Like, I love my Tesla's interface because it's just all one. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. just all... Uh, cohesive. There's a whole ecosystem happening there. Yeah. Uh, I have a Dodge Ram truck. It's a 2019, but this is similar to most vehicles. And mm -hmm. it's it's hard, right? Because I love, I can plug in my phone, you know, get CarPlay on the screen and it's beautiful. It's all apple -y. But then if I need to do anything else, like, you know, use the power seats and stuff, then I got to go out to mm -hmm. the Dodge interface. And it looks like yeah. they got the developers from the Commodore 64 uh, or, or like, do you know what I mean? It's like the ugliest, worst, unintuitive interface that is known to man. And yeah. it just, it hurts. It's like going from a rotary phone or like a push button phone to a, back to a rotary phone or, or even worse. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. even, I, I hate it. And I think it reflects the fact that not all car makers are really good at developing software. And quite frankly, they shouldn't be in that business, no. right? Just because you can engineer a really good vehicle doesn't necessarily mean that you can engineer the software into that front end. And that's one of the reasons why CarPlay and Android Auto have become as successful as they have is they fill the gap. Automakers realize that the the, you know, the software that they were putting into their their central screens was really lousy. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone who likes it. And so this was a stopgap. It's like, okay, so car makers will kind of get out of the, the the business, so to speak, hand over that real estate to Google and Apple and let them do their thing. Um, and, and that's been working for a few years. CarPlay and Android Auto have really dominated the space for about the last five years. Now what's changing though is thinking, okay, we're getting better at software. We're hiring people over from Google, hiring them over from Apple. We're creating a software development competency within our organization. Now we feel comfortable building it in on our own and also partnering with Google who have also continued to develop these services, recognizing that also they have something that car makers want. So it's a different vision in the end. You still end up with Google services on your on your device. What's different though is that you don't have to pop out of CarPlay or Android Auto in order to access them. It's all, and which is one of the reasons why people like Tesla's, it's integrated. It's one user interface, one system, one piece of software. And that makes a huge difference when you're you know popping down the highway and you realize that the service or the feature that you want isn't in car 
play, but it's in the background and you have to leave that interface. Not very elegant and quite frankly, uh, at 100 kilometers an hour, not very safe. So then the next thing, uh, I, I guess, if they're doing their own interface, the reason why CarPlay and Android Auto work uh, is because they're tethered to your phone and your phone cellular slash data connection. So mm -hmm. uh, Tesla, they have their own data connection. So the GPS and everything works on that. If you want to have streaming audio on like Spotify, for example, you have to sign up for their monthly, um, you know, data plan, which I think is about 15 mm -hmm. bucks last time I remember. So I, I guess I would assume that GM would have to have a data connection, a cellular data connection in these new EVs. Yeah, they would. And so no longer do you sort of hang it off your phone. You, the, the car now becomes the smartphone on wheels, basically. Um, and car makers love this because no longer are they just selling you features when you buy the car. They're now selling you subscriptions over the life of the car. They call it recurring revenue. Um, and and the software industry has embraced this and the automotive industry has embraced it as well. And taken to its extreme, it, it's, it's incredibly maddening because some features uh, that are being hidden behind the paywall, so to speak, are features that, quite frankly, shouldn't ever be hidden behind a paywall. BMW, a lot of people got really angry with them when they announced that for some vehicles, they were going to take heated seats and they were going to lock them behind a paywall. You, If you wanted your, your heated seats to work, you had to subscribe to it. The instant that you stopped subscribing to it, your heated seats wouldn't, you know, warm your tushy on a cold winter's morning and so um rather upsetting because the you know the industry shareholders love this because it makes the companies more money but the the customers who pay the bills can't stand this because it's a very cynical play for cash it's a cash grab um and and they're almost seem because there's you know this is the industry figuring out what works and what doesn't they're experimenting and pushing as far as they can to see what they can get away with how much you and I as consumers are willing to tolerate. I'm not very happy spending 15 bucks a month over and above my phone plan just because now my, I have to have a plan for my car. And that seems to be the world we're headed in, in that companies don't just want to sell us the vehicle. They want to buy, they want to sell us subscriptions just like Apple does, just like Google does. Um, and you know, if you're a shareholder in these companies, they're going to be more profitable, but the folks driving their products aren't going to be very happy. What recourse do we have as consumers though, Carmi, other than no, I don't want to pay for my heated seats. Um, because <laughs> Which... we're, yeah, and, and, and I won't, and, and I've made a conscious decision. I will specifically target when I have to replace my vehicle and hopefully I don't have to for a long time because I don't drive a lot. But when I do, I will specifically target uh, companies that are not engaged in this kind of behavior so that, you know, I, I want CarPlay and Android Auto to be available because I want to have options that are separate and distinct from the vehicular hardware. And I don't want to be locked into the car company's vision um, and I don't want to have to pay for it. Um, and second, if, if I buy a car that has the heated seat infrastructure, the actual hardware built into it, then, then I want to be able to use it whenever I want. And I don't want to have to pay for the privilege years after I brought the car home. So I will buy a car from a manufacturer that says we're going to be consumer friendly, not shareholder friendly. Um, and car companies that insist on pushing the bounds of subscriptions, uh, you know, folks like me are going to stay away from them because honestly, I think we've already hit a limit when it comes to monthly subscriptions. And I, I think the line gets drawn on the vehicle that's parked in my driveway. You should see the things I can buy through my my infotainment screen on my Tesla. If like, if I want the self like the full self driving autonomous, yeah. uh, not that what it's like twelve thousand dollars or something. Oh my god, I think it's like, like fifteen thousand or something. I just put my credit card in. 
That's, you know, <laughs> yeah, take it yeah, off my Tesla exactly. account. Uh, but <laughs> apparently in my Model 3, the rear seats, they have the capability to be heated as well. But I think I have to pay like three or $400 for that to unlock it. Uh, I, you know, part of me is okay if, if they want to simplify their manufacturing and then charge you a fee to unlock it, one-time fee. I think that's sort of okay. And I think most of us are used to that. It's an extension of buying it at the dealership, but it also gives you the option. You can buy the car without it and then decide a few months in, you know what? I really don't like having, you know, a cold backside. I think I'm going to subscribe. I'm, I'm going to buy it. And then you do that and they never charge you for that again. I think that's kind of fair. And I think that's a reasonable model. It allows people to pick and choose in an industry which has largely moved away from that. You used to be able to decide which options you wanted and which options you didn't. In, and, and a few years ago, the industry moved toward simplified uh, uh, trim packages that you know, if you wanted the sunroof, you had to buy a whole bunch of other things that you didn't want. So now if, if they just build it all into the car and then charge you a la carte over the life of the car and you buy it one time, I think that's reasonable. It's if they make you pay every month and the mi minute you stop paying, they turn it off remotely. Ooh, that's not any car I really ever want to be driving. Uh, I'm just looking at it. I don't, don't know if it's available in Canada yet, but on my uh, Tesla, if I want, mm -hmm. they have subscriptions as well. Uh, if I want the full self-driving uh, capability, and again, this uh, is U.S. pricing, it's $199 a month. Oh, Isn't that crazy? For, for 199 bucks a month, I think I'll drive myself. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think I'm okay with that, and I would be terrified, especially considering this isn't even a level three driving uh, technology, right? This is like glorified level two. It's it's it's, and and we know the limitations because we've talked about them in the past and the accidents that have happened because of it. I would be so afraid to hand control over the vehicle that I would be sitting at the wheel, uh, watching what the car is doing, and and living in fear that it's about to do something wrong. So. We're not at that point yet that I think 199 bucks a month is worth it. If someone wants to as a party trick, then by all means, maybe you've got more money than brains, but certainly most smart consumers, I think, would be shying away from that. Carmi, as always, I really want to thank you for joining us on the program today. So great being here, Mike. Always a pleasure. Want to give a shout out to Get Connected, our sister tech show. Uh, it's also on the Course Radio Network every Saturday. And of course, you can get it online. It's a podcast, just like the app show here. Uh, more information on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. And uh, you can go to your favorite podcasting uh, place, whether that's on Apple or Google, uh, Curious Cast, and subscribe to the program. And you just get uh, notified every time a, a new one uh, comes out. And our website, getconnectedmedia.com, has got uh, a lot of great links to uh, some of the videos that we've done as well, uh, tech reviews, tips, and tricks and uh, my global news segments uh, as well. This is Mike Agarbo signing off for the App Show. We'll see you again next time.